think it may be reversed in your bulletin. I'm going to start with a song that was written by one of my favorite contemporary pianists. She packed my bags last night for flight. Zero hour nine a.m. And I'm gonna be high as a kite by then. much I miss my wife it's lonely out in space on such a time as flight Touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home. Oh, no, no, no. I'm a rocket man. Rocket man burning up his fuse out here alone. And I think it's going to be a long, long time. Touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home. Oh, no, no, no. I'm a rocket man. Rocket man burning out his fuse out here alone. Mobs ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. In fact, it's cold as hell. And there's no one there to raise them. If you did, All this science I don't understand. It's just my job five days a week. A rocket man, a rocket man. time till touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home no 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 I'm a rocket man rocket man burning out his fuse up here alone and I 
And I think it's going to be a long, long time Till touchdown brings me round again to find I'm not the man they think I am at home No, no, no I'm a rocket man Rocket man, yeah I think it's going to be a long, long time And I think it's going to be a long, long time. Yes, I think it's going to be a long, long time. Yes, I think it's going to be a long, long time. Thank you. This next song <coughs> was actually it's it's a poem that came from Carl Sagan and Stephen Hawking, and um, they did this with a, a, a gentleman that, that they did this piece of music. It was really unusual. It's talking about the cosmos. wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe. Space is filled with a network of wormholes. You might emerge somewhere else in space, somewhere else in time. not destroy ourselves, we will one day venture to the stars. A still more glorious dawn awaits. Not a sunrise, but a galaxy rise. A morning filled with 400 billion suns. The rising of the Milky Way. Cosmos is full beyond measure of elegant truths, of exquisite interrelationships, of the awesome machinery of nature. I believe our future depends powerfully on how well we understand this cosmos, in which we float like a mote of dust in the morning sky. The brain does much more than just recollect. It intercompares. It synthesizes. It analyzes. It generates abstractions. The simplest thought, like the concept of the number one, has an elaborate logical underpinning. The brain has its own language, protesting the structure consistency of the world. For thousands of years, people have wondered about the universe. Did it stretch out forever? Or was there a limit? From the Big Bang to black holes, from dark matter to a possible big crunch, 
Our image of the universe today is full of strange-sounding ideas. How lucky are we to live in this time? The first moment in human history when we are, in fact, visiting other worlds. The surface of the Earth is the shore of the cosmic ocean. Recently, we waited a little way out water seemed inviting. Please rise in body or spirit for the call to worship. Good morning. If you wish to make an apple pie from scratch, you must first invent the universe, says Carl Sagan. <laughs> Look how far we've come. Formed within the deep dark, galaxies upon galaxies, and this pretty planet blooming, bursting with life. It took millions of years to make this morning from scratch that you would wake up, greet the sun, and trust what is still unfolding. Let us sing together hymn 163 for the earth forever turning.
Please be seated. Welcome everyone to First Unitarian. Everyone, whether you are new or a longtime member, congratulations, you've made it here on a Sunday morning. Yay. We welcome you to our worship and celebration. When we watch movies or TV or listen to the lyrics and popular songs, we get the impression that the only way to love or to be loved is through so-called romantic love. Most of us know that that kind of love can be elusive. Scientific research by positive psychologists, however, tells us that love is all around us. It happens every day when we meet another person and feel any sort of connection and instant caring for the other person. So my question to you is, how brave do you feel this morning? Spot someone else either near or far in the congregation, whether known or unknown, and may make eye contact and be sure to wave or smile at that person. So far, so good. Do you feel that love? Yay, good job. Yes, it's accessible to all of us. Great job in practicing evidence-based love. <laughs> There's research behind it. Well, my name is John Eldridge, and I'll be your worship leader this morning. My pronouns are he and him, and I'm a cisgender male. Everyone, regardless of their identities or their intersectionalities, is welcome at First Unitarian. Feel free to ask me about anything related to our worship or any announcement that we will be making after the service. I'll either answer your question or I'll find the person who can answer the question for you. And don't forget that right down here in front is our playground. We have toys here and a soft rug to hang out on to during the service. And we still have the activity table back at the right rear of the congregation and the family room across the hall with toys and live feed of the services. We bring our whole selves into this moment, mind, body, and spirit. Our whole selves love for who we are. Come, let's worship together. Good morning. I'm Mia Noren. I'm the Director of Religious Education for Children and Youth. And today, I'm going to retell someone else's story. This book by now retired certified religious educator and UU minister Carol Martignaco is a UU classic one we still use in our classes. So some of you may already be familiar with it. And it is now out of print. So when I learned that, I bought a whole bunch of copies. Have you ever watched a seed grow? Have you ever noticed how it begins? So small, so still, 
so quiet, like a gift, wanting to be opened. And how slowly it wakes up, begins to unfold, growing into something larger and larger and larger. Then you know that whatever comes from a seed usually ends up looking very little like the seed it came from, which is also true of the very first seed. Once, long, long ago, way back before the beginning, so long ago that there was no such thing as time because there was no one there to count it. Everywhere was a huge, deep, mysterious place, like something waiting to happen. There were no stars, no sun, no moon. There was no place like Earth. Not a drop of water or a single tree or rock or flower and no living beings anywhere. But in that deep waiting space was hidden the tiniest point of something no bigger than a seed. It was not a flower seed. It was not an elm tree seed. It was not a seed of corn, although all those things were included in the seed. You might call it an everything seed because that is what it became. No one knows where that first seed came from or how it was planted or how it knew in the way that only seeds know how long to wait for just the right moment to sprout and grow. But all at once, this tiny seed cradled and nourished in the rich soil of space, woke up, broke open, and began to unfold. Unfolding, unfolding, and blossoming forth into an enormous, blazing ball of brilliant, bright light, like a great-grandmother's sun. And the universe was born. Out fluttered the galaxies like a storm of snowflakes swirling and gathering into the brightest, most blindingly beautiful clouds of stars. And out of those star clouds whirled our own star, the one we call the sun, and our earth and our moon and all the round spinning planets that we have learned how to name. And this is the secret of that tiny seed. You and I were there in the very beginning, just as the idea for each leaf on a big oak tree lies hidden in an acorn. We were there with all the stars and planets 
all the rocks and oceans, plants and animals, and people. Everything that is now, ever was, or ever will be, was inside that first tiny seed. So whenever you hold a seed in your hand and wonder what it could become, imagine how you and all that is here once came from the tiniest speck of an everything seed before it sprouted and grew long, long ago in the way back beginning of time. Now, if this were an ordinary story, it would end right there. But this story of the universe keeps unfolding. What once began in a blazing blossom of light continues every day. New stars sprout open in the deep soil of space. New plants and animals appear on Earth. Seeds of many kinds are scattered everywhere to help us remember and new people are born every day with the spark of that first light still alive and burning deep inside waiting like the everything seed to shine in ways that are yet to be known So much is behind us, and so much remains to happen, to develop. Let's take a moment to breathe and just be right now, in this middle moment, the present. We'll do a little meditation and prayer. You can start by Noticing whether you've really given your weight over to that seat yet or whether you're still, you know, kind of carrying it around yourself. Maybe just on your next exhalation. See if you can soften. And just let yourself be held. You carry so much. Just be held. I'm going to share a quote with you. It's from Pierre Teilhard de Chardin who was a scientist and a Jesuit priest. He had a really vast metaphorical idea of God. So as I read his words, I invite you to apply your own sense of the divine, or if you don't have one or don't find that useful, you might just think of growth or creativity, whatever works for you. Teilhard de Chardin writes, above all, Trust in the slow work of God. We are quite naturally impatient in everything to reach the end without delay. We should like to skip the intermediate stages. We are impatient of being on the way to something unknown, something new. 
and yet it is the law of all progress that it is made by passing through some stages of instability and that it may take a very long time. And so I think it is with you, he writes. Your ideas mature gradually. Let them grow. Let them shape themselves without undue haste. Don't try to force them on as though you could be today what time, that is to say grace and circumstances acting on your own goodwill, will make of you tomorrow. Only God could say what this new spirit gradually forming within you will be. Trust that you are where you need to be right now in your process, Eve tells us, and accept the anxiety of feeling yourself in suspense and incomplete. So breathing and being and accepting ourselves just as we are this morning, we continue in stillness. And let any sounds you hear just guide your mind right to this present moment.
Let's lift up some prayers in our community. From my pastoral list, I lift up our finance director, Brian Hackett, and his mom. His mom is in palliative care for cancer. And so we hold their whole family in our hearts and pray for them to have all of the care and comfort and connection they need right now. I'm also thinking of everyone who is suffering from the terrible wildfires in Hawaii, everybody on the island and on the mainland who's grieving that terrible loss. I invite you to call to mind the names that are in your hearts, the people and places, anyone, anywhere you have a prayer for, and speak them aloud as the chime rings so that we can hold them with you. All these we lift up, and we lift up the unspoken prayers as well, the ones that aren't quite ready to reach the lips, perhaps too tender or too private. All of these we lift up. And oh, spirit of life, spirit of love, we pray not to request your presence now, but to call ourselves into it because you are nearer than breath. Hear our prayers. For all who are hurting, may there be comfort. May the weary be held in your embrace. May no one be lonely in our community. And may we live gently upon this earth. We give thanks for this day, so long in the making. For the gifts of our lives, we give thanks for all that is beautiful and kind. And we pray for the courage to live with love as our guide, to spread the seeds of love day by day. And we dedicate ourselves to this holy work. And we say, may it be so. Amen. Peace be with you. Please join in singing hymn 1003, Where Do We Come From?
This is written as a round, so you can choose whichever line you want to sing. Please be seated. Those are good questions in that song. They're why I have a job. <laughs> Just job security in that hymn. <laughs> Behind me, we have this amazing mural, a centerpiece of our sanctuary. It was created in 1965 by the artist Alexander Girard and his sons, who made it out of pieces of wood that they found mostly as is. Gerard and his sons collected the wood from barns, fences, doors, and roofs of abandoned buildings in the Jemez Mountains. And all of the colors are what they found on the wood that they collected. House paint, creosote, stain, and natural weathered wood. They did not add any color to the mural. So they brought all that wood back to Albuquerque and church members helped cut the wood into squares. Have you ever tried to guess how many wood tiles there are in it? <laughs> now, if you know the answer, shh, but if you don't know the answer, what do you think? 5,000, 1,000, 1,200, 3,000, 10,000. <laughs> it's 5,000. Yes. <laughs> when we built this sanctuary, we had the tiles moved one by one from the old sanctuary, which is now our social hall. From found pieces and with inspiration from church members and from his own imagination, Gerard crafted this mural to represent the world's traditions. The symbols you see behind me represent Unitarian Universalism and Confucianism, Judaism, Islam, Shinto, Christianity, Astro-worship, Zoroastrianism, ancient Egyptian tradition, 
Hinduism, and Buddhism. And Gerard added a heart right behind me to represent the spirit and love that are present in all of the great religions and which unites people across difference. Of course, the mural doesn't represent every religious tradition in the world, because as I said at the beginning of the summer, there may be as many as 10,000 different religions on this planet, and even defining what counts as one and what doesn't is really tricky. So it would have been hard for him to identify every tradition, even if he were going to make a mural big enough to include them all. Instead, by bringing together the diverse traditions it does have, our mural means to represent the greater diversity. Nevertheless, as the years passed, our congregation grew in its awareness of the breadth of traditions, and pretty soon it felt like some important ones had been uncomfortably omitted. For example, earth-based traditions, indigenous to every continent, are missing, including the original tradition belonging to this land right here which is a glaring omission. So we seek to complement the mural with new symbols, with other symbols, and that's one of the reasons this sanctuary was designed with these nichos you see up here to your right. For a few years, the nichos held symbolic objects from Africa, and right now, as you can see, we have a display of science-related objects because symbols of science are also missing from the mural. And someday this will have another installation in it. It's meant to be sort of a rotating thing, but it is a lot harder than you think to replace those. <laughs> so we don't do it very often. <laughs> those are higher than they look. Now, I would not call science a religion, but science is named among the six sources from which Unitarian Universalism draws. You can find those sources in your gray hymnal. They're right before hymn number one, if you want to see them. We read them aloud together back in June. And the final one reads, as a source, humanist teachings which counsel us to heed the guidance of reason and the results of science and warn us against idolatries of the mind and spirit. There it is. Scientific discovery does not just coexist with Unitarian Universalism. It is named among the sources that shape our tradition. Our tradition, which once upon a time grew out of the Christian tradition a long time ago. It's interesting because in the history of Christianity and science, it used to be the other way around. Science was shaped by religion, not religion shaped by science. In the time before science even came to be seen as separate from religion, the questions people asked about how nature works and why the ocean is blue and how so many kinds of animals came to be flowed in the Western world out of a Christian worldview. Humans who were created by God were studying the rest of creation. They studied plant cycles and weather patterns and cells and planets. Trouble began when theories from these observations contradicted treasured religious ideas. Like when Copernicus's theory that the earth revolves around the sun conflicted with the Christian teaching that everything revolves around the earth and humans in particular. Then we began to see clashes of what, with hindsight, we call religion and science religion and science, but they didn't start out as distinct. 
We came to see them that way. One of the most infamous clashes was that one between the Catholic Church and Copernicus in the 1500s. Another one occurred between the church and Galileo less than a century later after violating an injunction by church authorities not to, quote, hold, teach, or defend in any way whatsoever that the earth moves, Galileo was forced to recant his discoveries. He spent eight years in house arrest, which turned out to be the rest of his life. He died at the age of 77 during that time. In recanting, Galileo had to state that his discoveries were, quote, abjured, cursed, and detested. Abjured means shunned or rejected. This caused him a lot of personal grief, but it did save him from being burned at the stake. Nowadays, obviously, there are many Christian and other churches that don't pick fights with science. Over 350 years after the Galileo incident, the Catholic Church also acknowledged that they had been wrong. That was in 1992. <laughs> yeah, if you think our church moves slow, just keep that in mind. But in the U.S., in the late 1800s, some Christians believed the influence of reason and science had gone too far. They saw liberal ministers like Unitarians and Universalists, who were two different groups back then, they saw them taking a critical eye to the Bible and allowing scientific discovery to change some tenets, some beliefs that had previously been held dear, such as the teaching that there is literally a place called hell and that most of the world's population will go there. We do not teach that here. In response to that religious liberalism, which had been influenced by science and anthropology and historical criticism, a counter-movement formed, Christian fundamentalism. In the 20th century, the fundamentalists organized and they found their public voice. They argued for school prayer and for teaching creationism alongside evolution. They viewed much of science with disdain and to this day, we see that battle playing out in various ways. Some people have tried to reconcile science and religion by suggesting that they belong to separate but compatible spheres. Stephen Jay Gould was a professor of zoology, biology, and geology at Harvard. In the book Rocks of Ages, Gould argues that science and religion belong to non-overlapping magisteria. That is what he calls it, non-overlapping magisteria. I think magisteria sounds like your majesty, like they are two kingdoms. Never the twain shall meet. <laughs> but that's not what he means. He defines a magisterium as a domain where one form of teaching has the right tools for the job. Magisteria comes from the Latin word magister, which means teacher. And then because it's Latin, the plural form of magisterium is magisteria. So there you have it. Non-overlapping magisteria. Gold calls it Noma for short. Thank goodness. <laughs> he says that science, try, quote, tries to document the factual character of the natural world and develop theories that coordinate and explain these facts. Religion, on the other hand, does something different. Religion, he says, operates in the equally important but utterly different realm of human purposes, meanings, and values. Subjects that the factual domain of science might illuminate, but can never reconcile or resolve. So science asks, how does it work? And religion asks, what does it mean? That's one way of thinking of it. 
And the teachings in one domain might inspire conversation and uh, spur thinking in the other, but Gould says science and religion respond to fundamentally different questions. How does it work? What does it mean? And that's tidy. So crisp and clear, it resonates with me. I like it. Of course, that's because I'm a religious liberal. <laughs> and I'm comfortable with science doing the explaining for the natural world. And I'm comfortable, even if sometimes it's uncomfortable, adjusting my religious views accordingly. That is the perspective of Unitarian Universalism. It's also true that many scientists are religious and many churchgoers are scientists, and we certainly have many scientists in this congregation. Those who embrace both do know that it can sometimes be spiritually challenging. Science can be, it can take courage. In, the May, of 28, in May of 2018, for example, a study was published exploring what happens in the brain during religious experiences. This was a really interesting study because while there have been a lot of studies like that, uh, past studies have looked at what happens to Buddhist monks or Carmelite nuns or other specialized religious practitioners. But this study wasn't limited to one religious tradition and it was not for religious experts. In fact, you might describe the participants in the study as spiritual but not religious, a phrase I think many you use actually identify with. The participants were 27 young adults who had had the experience of oneness with a higher power or with all things, however they defined it. So they'd had that religious experience. And the researchers then created visualizations tailored to the past religious experience of each subject in the study. They tried to recreate that experience in a visualization. So if the participant had had a spiritual experience by the ocean or a mountain, the guided imagery evoked that. If the experience had occurred during meditation or during intense physical exercise, the visualization was tailored to that. And then while the participants were guided through these visualizations, the researchers did functional MRIs brain scans on them to see what was happening in their brains. The researchers discovered that whatever the specifics, when participants were having a spiritual experience, they showed decreased activity in a part of the brain called the inferior parietal lobule. The same thing had been observed in previous studies as well. And at least one study has shown that researchers can induce a religious feeling of oneness with God or with all things by artificially manipulating that part of the brain to quiet it. Further research has shown that spiritual experiences of oneness make people more resilient in life, more able to deal with stress or loss or other issues better at those than people who have not experienced that feeling. The researchers hoped their study would help to improve mental health care by showing what areas of the brain needed intervention in order to help improve coping and resilience. So, hang on now, right? Is religious experience merely a function of the brain? Or is that quieting of the inferior parietal lobule, 
our brain's way of getting out of the way. Do our brains respond to an ultimate reality that is larger than ourselves? Is that true? Like, is, there a, is it true that we are one with something that is larger than ourselves? I would say that scientifically it does seem to be true. And is our sense of spirituality less real if we can see corresponding brain patterns? I don't think it is. Science itself is awe-inspiring. It's like the 20th century preacher Ralph Sockman said, the bigger the island of knowledge, the longer the shoreline of wonder. Right? The more we know, we don't know. In a sense that's both scientific and religious, we really are connected, made of the same stuff as all things. We are one with it. And when we experience oneness, we also experience a deep peace that we can find again later at a difficult moment. Knowing that when we are struck with that feeling of peace, our brains are also struck with a moment of peace in the inferior parietal lobule, <laughs> that doesn't make any less awe-inspiring. I think maybe it makes it more awe-inspiring, actually. And I don't think it makes it any less true. Because isn't it amazing that our brains are wired to even ask about such things? What are we? Knowing that the hydrogen in our bodies, which is about 90% of the atoms of which we are made, could have been produced in the Big Bang and knowing that most of the rest of our atoms were produced in old red giant stars. That is amazing. We marvel. And we marvel that awe and science are both part of our religion. I want to close this sermon by inviting you to read something with me from the Gray Hymnal. It's reading number 530 in the back, 530. Number 530 is Out of the Stars by Robert Weston. So I'll read the plain fonts, and I invite you to join me on the italics. Out of the stars in their flight, out of the dust of eternity, here have we come. Stardust and sunlight mingling through time and through space. Out of the stars have we come up from time, out of the stars have we come. Time out of time before time, in the vastness of space, earth spun to orbit the sun, earth with the thunder of mountains newborn, the boiling of seas, earth warmed by sun, lit by sunlight, this is our home, out of the stars have we come. Mystery hidden in mystery, back through all time. Mystery rising from rocks in the storm and the sea. Out of the stars, rising from rocks and the sea, kindled by sunlight on earth arose life. Ponder this thing in your heart. Ponder with awe. Out of the sea to the land, out of the shallows came ferns. 
out of the sea to the land, up from darkness to light, rising to walk and to fly, out of the sea trembled life. Ponder this thing in your heart, life up from sea, eyes to behold, throats to sing, mates to love. Life from the sea, warmed by sun, washed by rain. Life from within, giving birth, rose to love. This is the wonder of time. This is the marvel of space. Out of the stars swung the earth. Life upon earth rose to love. This is the marvel of life. Rising to see and to know. Out of your heart cry wonder. Sing that we live. Amen. Change will not come if we wait for some other person or if we wait for some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. Former President Obama said these words, and our offering represents one way in which we can work for change. Our Change for the Future partner this month is Libros for Kids that mails free books each month to children in Bernalillo and Valencia counties. Each child eventually receives their own library of 60 books, including 12 bilingual titles. With your love and support, our church will continue to pursue our compassionate values. We will now gratefully receive the offering. Galileo's head was on the block. The crime was looking up the truth. And as the bombshells of my daily fears explode, I try to trace them to my youth. And then you had to bring up a reincarnation over a couple of beers the other night. And now I'm serving time for mistakes made by another in another lifetime. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision, king of in. And then I think about my fear of motion, for which I never could explain. Some other fool across the ocean years ago must have crashed his little airplane. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo. 
of night vision, king of insight. I'm not making a joke. You know me, I take everything so seriously. If we wait for the time till our souls get it right, then at least I know there's no one new nuclear annihilation in my lifetime. I offer thanks to those before me. That's all I've got to say. Cause maybe you squandered big bucks in your lifetime. Now I have to pay. But then again, it feels like some sort of inspiration to let the next life off the hook. Or she'll say, look what I had to overcome in my last life. I think I'll write a book. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? Except for the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision. King of insight. King of insight. Ah, oh, what a great song and well sung. Thank you, everyone. Thank you on behalf of the congregation and on behalf of Libros for Kids for your generosity. May these gifts be for blessing in this world. Thanks, ushers. We've got some invitations for you. Did you know that First Unitarian has a string band? Yep. And it's going to be reconvening in the courtyard today. All right, <laughs> and that's all we're gonna tell you about that. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Actually, yeah, you're welcome. If you play a stringed instrument or wanna know more about it, you're welcome to just pop over to the group and say hello and get to know them. Uh, this next one is um, it's more like information than an invitation, but I'm gonna try to make it into an invitation. So the information is that Comanche Business Association, as you might have noticed, is putting a fence around their parking lot, which we have always used for parking. <laughs> And it's going to be a, a gated situation. They um, have said that they'll ha leave it open for us on Sunday mornings during church, um, which is great. They've also indicated that if the gate's not open for some reason, we are out of luck on Sunday, that they'll be back on Monday to fix that problem. <laughs> so the good thing is that we have First Unitarians own 124 parking spaces. Um, while this little lot right by the main doors is small, there's a whole other south lot, and you're invited to park all the way down there, especially if you're somebody who's able to walk that distance easily. We can even park in East Ocean's parking lot. That's the restaurant that's on the other side of our south lot. South lot. So um, consider that, consider carpooling, and you know it's gonna be a busy morning like today where we might be using all of our parking spaces just in case while we get the hang of this new situation. 
uh, bike commuting bonus spiritual points for that, if you're able. That's the invitation. <laughs> That's the invitation. Carpool or commute, make a friend. <laughs> Maybe even ride a bike. So summer means barbecues, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the all-church barbecue is coming up in two weeks. Plan to stay after the second service for burgers, veggie burgers, hot dogs, and more. See the connections table out in the lobby today to sign up to help. We also will be having a volunteer fair that day so in the courtyard, so look to connect with others then. Visit the groups at the volunteer fair to find your service spot in the church. And in fact, after every service, we have a social hour. And today, we have a social hour, of course, but we don't have anyone to serve at the social hour. So if that seems to be a volunteer uh, item that you'd like to consider, maybe you could do that. So you could serve coffee and tea and set up all the goodies out there for the, to facilitate the social hour. Are you new to First Unitarian or Unitarian Universalism? Plan to stay after this service today, the very first Histories and Mysteries tour led by Christine Robinson and our Director of Congregational Life, Lara Magnuson. Space is limited to 15 people, but more tours will be offered in the future. Meet at 1215 in the sanctuary, that's right here, to attend. Limited to 15. Mysteries, Histories and Mysteries tour. Just a couple more. Um, this week on Thursday, that's the 17th, First Unitarian is um, really happy to host the New Mexico Immigrant, Immigrant Law Center and Albuquerque FaithWorks for their monthly asylum and work permit application clinic. So um, these are organizations that we've partnered with before and we're really happy to do it again. If you know anybody or if you yourself need help applying for asylum or a work permit, that starts at 9 a.m. on Thursday and goes until they run out of appointments. And if you're interested in supporting the event, FaithWorks is looking for some volunteers to provide food for the clients who come and for the volunteers while they fill out all those legal applications, um, snacks and a simple lunch, that kind of thing. Peggy Whitmore, are you here? Would you mind standing up for just a second? Peggy will tell you how to connect with that if you would like to volunteer for that. Thomas, there you are. Come on forward, friend. I want to introduce somebody to you. This is Thomas Gerald. He is our new technical arts director. Yay! <laughs> Thomas started kind of low-key behind the scenes a few weeks ago, um, learning how things work. He is an experienced um, instructional designer and videographer. Yeah, we're so glad to have you here. Um, we are also, oh, first of all, let me just say that I can say with certainty, Thomas is a really fun and cool guy. I've really enjoyed <laughs> working with him these last few weeks. Um, and we're looking to grow the volunteer team that he works with back there. So if you can imagine yourself being a Zoom host at 9 a.m. from home, um, or uh, helping with sound or audio or running the projector, we would love to tell you more about that. And that's something that um, you can learn on the job. We will teach you. And then you'll have another skill in your resume. Thanks, Thomas. <laughs> and welcome. <laughs> I want to invite everybody now to rise in body or spirit and greet each other with a gesture of peace. We like to do it with one hand over our hearts, and we just extend our other hand toward our fellow churchgoers this morning. Peace to all. Peace.
in peace, friends, and may love bless you and keep you until we are gathered again. Blessed be. Can anybody know, ever reach that light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision, king of insight. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any human being ever reach that kind of light? Except for the resting soul of Galileo, king of night vision, king of insight, king of insight, king of insight. Of inside.